Oh, thank you, thank you. I am uh, Evie Free's resident hipster. Uh, it's been a while, taking a while for me to realize this, but I wear desert boots, I cuff my jeans, I like coffee, and I'm studying philosophy, so it's check, 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 and check. Um, wow, it's, it's fun to be here. I spent this morning actually teaching in the worship center with uh, co-teaching with my coworker Tim Hummel. It's a lot of fun. I, I want to brag just a little bit about this. Not for me, not for me. It was Youth Sunday, Youth Preview, Preview Sunday, and we got to share some of the amazing things that God is doing in our youth ministry, and it will be online. This is not a promotion for me. Let me just be clear. This is not a promotion for me. There are some incredible testimonies from some students on there, which are super encouraging to hear. So if you get a chance, I would recommend you go and look at that. Um, it would be awesome. It's cool to see what God is doing in the youth today. All right, today, tonight, I want to thank you first and foremost for setting your alarms back and making it to the 5 p.m. I know it was difficult to get up and be here at 5, but you did it. Give yourselves a round of applause, everyone. Okay. Uh, We are continuing our series in the book. Not in the book. Sorry. Flashbacks from this morning. We are continuing our series looking at Jesus. Uh, Last week, Austin looked at the birth of Jesus and the significance of that. And this week, we're looking at the life of Jesus and some of the things that he said some of the things that he did. And in the following weeks, we'll look at his death as we ramp up to culminating in the resurrection on Easter Sunday. Uh, But today, in order to look at Jesus's life, I want to go for a moment back to Exodus 19. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to Exodus 19. Uh, All of my Bible markers are napkins, so I will be putting them down there. It's all I had at my house. Uh, Exodus 19. So In the book of Exodus, where we are at in 19, is Moses has just finished leading the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And uh, if you don't know, a little bit before that, God called this man named Abraham, and he gave him this promise. He says, I'm going to bless you and make your name great, and I'm going to bless your nation, your progeny, or your your children, and they are going to be a blessing to all nations. And the story of Genesis goes that he has these different children, and eventually he has a great-grandson who has 12 sons, and these 12 sons become the nation of Israel, and they find themselves in slavery in Egypt, and they cry out to God, and God raises up for them Moses, which is one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament would be considered one of the greatest prophets, if not the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. And Moses is the guy who God uses to lead his people out of slavery. And he does this. He leads them out of slavery, and he brings them to this place uh, called Mount Sinai. And it's here we read in Exodus 19. So let's read together. In the third month after Israelites left Egypt on the very day, they came to the desert of Sinai, and after they set from Rephidim, it's a fun word, They entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession." And although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words of the Lord you are to speak to the Israelites. So in Exodus, after leading the people out of slavery, God tells Moses to speak to the Israelites and say, and 
to tell them that he is there to establish a kingdom of priests among the Israelites. They are to be a representative, a kingdom of priests that put God's glory on display for the world, to fulfill that promise in Genesis that said they'd be a blessing to all nations. Uh, in the following chapter is this somewhat confusing book called Leviticus. Has any of you guys read Leviticus? It's okay to raise your hands. We do this in junior high sometimes. Like 11 of you. It's pretty confusing, but that's okay. Leviticus is this law, or basically this outlining or guideline for the people of Israel and how they're going to be God's people, how they're supposed to be citizens in this kingdom that God is establishing. Now, the question you're asking is, how how does this relate to Jesus? How does the story relate to Jesus? Well, last week, Austin was talking about how the story of Jesus and how Jesus came into the world isn't this new, separate story. It's not this, it's not like God was like, well, I messed up with with the Israelites, or it just didn't work out, they couldn't do it, so I'm going to bring Jesus in, and I'm going to fix my solution. It's actually the completion of the fulfillment of what God was already doing with Israel. It's a continuation of that story. So Jesus shows up on the scene. He's born. We talked about how significant that was last week. He shows up on the scene, and he proclaims something pretty scandalous, which is relatively characteristic of what Jesus does in his ministry. Now, we just taught a series in junior high ministry that was all about interactions that Jesus had with people. And as I was studying these and learning these, what I wanted to convey to my middle school students, and I guess to you now, is that Jesus is kind of scandalous. Like, the things that he says really, like, really mess with people. It's, it's kind of different from our, like, fluffy, cuddly Jesus that we're like, oh, yeah, Jesus is my homeboy, like, cool guy. It's a little different than that. He says things that really rile people up. And one of the things that characterized his ministry, one of the things that he said often and that he taught on was the kingdom of heaven. He would say, repent, the kingdom of heaven is coming. Let's read this in Matthew, flip over there, Matthew chapter 4. So Matthew chapter 4, this is the the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is verse 12. Then Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, and he returned to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. And he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. And as you can see here already, this is a continuation of what was going on with Israel. This fulfilling of prophecy was a continuation of the story of Israel. And then verse 17 says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Some translations will say is at hand or is approaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is is near. That's a hard sentence to say, apparently. It says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So Jesus is calling the people to turn towards something new. The author of Matthew kind of makes a comparison between Moses and Jesus and says they kind of do similar things. Moses and and Jesus are going to rescue people from slavery, and they're going to give them this teaching on how to be the kingdom of God, how to be a citizen in this kingdom. But Jesus' way is going to be different. It's going to be new. It's going to be actually a fulfillment of this promise. Jesus is going to offer a different way. And what Jesus offers is the kingdom. He comes and he preaches that the kingdom of heaven is near. And if you study the scriptures and you look throughout the the rest of the chapters, we actually see most of what he says, most of what he teaches on is what this kingdom is like. And there's almost an expectation of what people who are part of this kingdom are supposed to be like, how they're supposed to live, how they're supposed to act. So if you turn with me to chapter 5, I call these, I mean, I'm just calling them this now, I call them Jesus jukes which is like Jesus saying, like, you've heard it this way, but actually, I tell you, it's this way. And he preaches for the, the, it's the Sermon on the Mount. He preaches for 
three or four chapters in which he says, you've heard that it was said this way, but actually I tell you, this is how you're supposed to act. So we'll just read a couple of these. Matthew 5, 21 says, you've heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. So part of this new kingdom, Jesus is saying, it's not just the things that you do, it's the way that you feel towards other people that you need to get rid of. And then he talks about adultery. He says, you've heard that it was said to not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is saying, this is how people in my kingdom are to, are to live, how to be, are to think. Uh, verse 35, or verse 33 says, again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oath you have had made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. He's saying, don't swear. You've heard that it was okay to do this and to keep your promises, but I say, don't do this. In my kingdom, this is not how we live. And then he says, you've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him, turn to him the other also. And lastly, he says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. A lot of people would consider this to be characteristic of something called the upside down kingdom. Jesus comes and proclaims that this kingdom is near, but this kingdom is not going to be like what we would expect. See, when I think of a kingdom, first thing I go to is Lord of the Rings. I mean, am I right? Yes, two of you. It's great. But this kingdom, right, Aragorn, this is where I get a little nerdy, Aragorn, they march against, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, so they march against the enemy, the orcs, the, the evil people, and they triumph over them with power and might. And there's some sub story with Frodo, but He's not that important. But they, like, it's powerful, it's strong, it's brave warriors, it's defeating people in battle, it's victory. But Jesus proclaims a kingdom that's upside down, says it's not about how strong you are, it's actually about how weak you are. And it's not about how much you can lead, it's about how much you can serve. And he, he not only talked the talk, Jesus walked the walk, <laughs> right? So Jesus in his ministry went around serving people and healing people and offering forgiveness for people. This is characteristic of what Jesus did in his ministry. He offered this upside-down kingdom. Now, he also didn't, he didn't only proclaim that the kingdom of heaven was near. He actually proclaimed that the kingdom of heaven was present or now. So let's go to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Uh, Jesus is, often likes to confuse people and teach in parables. It was very difficult for people of his day to understand. Uh, somewhat. But 33, or we're going to verse 31. This is the parable of the mustard seed. He said, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in the field. Though it is the smallest of your seeds, when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants. And it becomes a tree so that birds of the air come and perch in its branches. And he says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, a woman that took and mixed it into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Scholars would, probably, would call this the, the kind of theology of the now but not yet kingdom. And it's this idea that the kingdom of God in the work of Jesus was ushered in now, like the, like, the, like the yeast. It's there, and it's working its way through all of creation. And one day it will be fully realized, and that's the hope that we look forward to. But it's actually here. It's present. It's something we can experience now. And 
this is what Jesus taught about. He, said he came to proclaim the kingdom, to call people and teach them what this kingdom looked like, how to be citizens of this kingdom. But he also came to tell them that this kingdom is here and now, and we can experience it here and now. Uh, in the end of his life, towards the end of his life, Jesus told his disciples uh, that he was going to leave them. And let's turn to John chapter 14. He tells them that he's going to leave them. Uh, in verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. And this is the spirit of truth. Now, as followers of Jesus this is the, the promised Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to go away, but when I go away, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And what we believe is when we profess our faith in Jesus, we actually receive the indwelling of God's Spirit in us. Uh, the New Testament authors would refer to this idea as something like us becoming a temple. Actually, in 1 Corinthians 6.19, in 1 Corinthians 6.19, it says this, Paul is speaking. He says this a couple times in his letters. He says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. And he, he emphasizes that our bodies are now temples in which God dwells. And what's significant about this is that the temple in the Old Testament was the place where heaven and earth collided. Right? So God's presence would meet with man's presence in the temple. People might view this as heaven and earth meeting in the spaces of the temple. So the implication is that as God's children, as followers of him who have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God's presence meets, God, meets man's presence and meets the earth in our own bodies. And this is significant because this plays in to our mission. If Jesus came to announce the kingdom and proclaim that it's coming but it's here, he then asked his followers to, to do what he has done, to announce this kingdom, to proclaim that it's here, but it's coming. So now we have a new role as, as a temple, but also as kingdom bearers. We bear the good news of the kingdom. And we do this by following what Jesus has taught us, living in this upside-down kingdom in which when it's expected that we get angry, we serve. When it's expected that we hate our enemies, there are so many people which we could say we should hate. But Jesus says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Now, as I was thinking about this, I, I, I was thinking about Micah 6.8, because it can be often confusing to, to in every situation to say, how, how do I live as, God's, as a citizen of God's kingdom? How do I bring the kingdom of heaven into every situation? And I think Micah 6.8 does a good job of just clearly laying out, this is how you're to ultimately live. It says this, He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And this being a part of our mission, this means in every facet of our life, in every place that we interact with the world, which is everywhere for all of us, we actually get the responsibility and the joy of bringing the kingdom into those spaces. So at your work, with your coworkers, maybe there's a coworker who, who just gets on your nerves when we respond the way Jesus tells us to respond, we actually bring in the kingdom. And at school, when you're, when you're with your teachers and your peers and you're responding or living your life with integrity, we're actually living and ushering in the kingdom 
in those scenarios. With our family is probably some of the places where it's the hardest to live out that life, to, to love the people that seem to rub against us. When we do that, we actually usher in this kingdom. It's our mission as a church. It's what we're meant to do as God's children. To live as kingdom people is to bring the kingdom into the world. So as we close, as we invite the band back up to worship, I want you to hold those spaces in your mind, those places that you know it's hardest for you to be a follower of God. It's hardest for you to follow Jesus as a disciple. Maybe it's at home or at school or with your friends who don't know him. And it's not that we, we bring the kingdom in and condemn and judge. We actually love. We extend compassion that was extended to us. Think of those spaces where it's most difficult for you. And remember, our mission as a church is to actually usher in this kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that that not only do we look forward to the end of the age when the kingdom will be fully realized, but that we get the joy and the pleasure of bringing your kingdom into the world now. And God, as we hold those, those spaces in our lives where we think of how we can bring the kingdom in, God, would you remind us of Micah 6, 8, that we would love justice, we would act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. Would you remind us that not only are we your children, we are kingdom bearers. It's in your name that we pray and it's in your name that we ask for your help in those situations when we know that it'll be difficult for us to do that on your own. Would your Holy Spirit speak to us in those moments? Remind us of you. Give us the strength to be kingdom people. It's in your name that we pray.